When you read in Luke 15, you all of a sudden see that Jesus is about to get under the skin of the religious leaders of the day. And so he decides to address some of the grumbling and the mumbling of the religious folks. And he decides to go at them in a way that only Jesus could. So we read in Luke 15, right at the beginning, it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. The Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Could you imagine if that was your story? That the religious people in town were complaining because you were hanging out with sinners. Um, We've been talking the last few weeks about occupying every street and occupying your world for Jesus. And, and Jesus right here is showing us a pure example of how we should live. But all of a sudden, it's stirring some things up with the religious folks. They're not liking Jesus being with the sinners. In fact, you read that the sinners are drawing nearer to Jesus. They, they want to get closer to him. And the religious folks are having a hard time with this. In fact, they're wanting to get so close to him that Jesus decides that he's going to go and eat with them. Now, we live in a fast food world where, you know, like, hey, we'll meet you at, you know, one world and you're, you're in and out within 30, 40 minutes, depending on the server. But back in Jewish times, when someone said that they ate with them, it was a long period of time. Sometimes it would be a whole afternoon and evening. Sometimes it would be a few days. During the feast times, it would be for a week. And so when you read about Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, it means something completely different than what we think of today. In fact, in Matthew 11, it actually talks about Jesus being viewed as a glutton because he ate so much with these sinners. You see, when it talks about eating, it talks about things like commitment. It talks about intimacy. It talks about getting to know someone. Back in Jewish day, when you ate with someone, it meant you were with them. It wasn't just a, hey, how are you doing? We'll eat a Big Mac and we're on our way. It was more of a, we're going to sit and we're going to get to know one another. There was a commitment. And the religious folks were having a hard time with who Jesus was eating with. You see, the people that Jesus was hanging out with was tax collectors, the, the modern day con artist at that time. He was hanging out with thieves. He was hanging out with prostitutes and pimps. He was hanging out with adulterers. He was hanging out with what we would know as the real bad people of society. And the religious folks have a real hard time with this. 
Now, at this point, we all start judging the religious folks. We're like, how dare they? People, they're the only logical people on the story right now. These were sound men. These were men who knew what it meant to live holy. Yet Jesus is coming in and he's tearing all of this up. And so he decides to give them a bit of a lesson. And as only Jesus can, he starts to give them this parable, this metaphor of three things. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. So I want to do that this morning. I just want to read what Jesus laid out to them. So in verse 3, it says, So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in an open field and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost Sheep. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Europe and, and all over that part of, of the world, sheep and lamb are a big deal, especially in Jewish times. He's talking to them in their language. They understood the concept of sheep. It, it reminds me a few years back, about three or four years ago, every three or four years, we go back to England and Wales. And um, now my dad's from Wales, and then I was blessed a little bit more because I'm actually from England. Uh, And there is a difference. I'm just telling you, there is a difference, and I can say that because he's not here. Um, But we went to Wales, and we went to this part of Wales called the Rhonda Valley. And we drove up this hillside, mountainside, and we got to the top. And when we got to the top, we got out, and there's an ice cream truck there. But then, as we got out of the cars, all of a sudden, there is sheep and lambs running towards us. I mean, they are all over us. Here's some of the pictures of that. Uh, That's my dad's brother. Doesn't he look like my dad? Um, And and so we just start feeding them everything. I mean, it started pretty healthy with carrots and bread. And then we went and got an ice cream. And they're eating the ice cream. And, And in the background there, you can see the Rhonda Valley, this open space. And so we're up there having a great time. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking about this story. And I'm looking at this open space. People, we've got to understand, sometimes we read the Bible and we think, that's a great story. He left the 99, went after the one. People, it's crazy. Who leaves 99 sheep in an open field? At least pen them up somewhere. But Jesus is saying, just leave the 99. We're going to go and look for the one. Who's caring for the 99? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I'm, I'm being serious. I mean, no one's looking after the 99. All of a sudden, they're going after one. 
who knows where the other 99 are going? And you could see the religious leaders trying to figure out what Jesus is saying. I mean, I am terrible at math. You ask my wife, that's why she does our finances. I am terrible at math. But 99 is a greater sum than one. Right? Count your losses. We've got 99. The one's off. I tell you where the one could end up. It could end up on our dinner plate. This is Rob. I want to give a shout out real quick to all the guys, including Rob, but all the guys who help us on a Sunday. Rob's a faithful volunteer here. He's in charge. He's 15, 16 years of age, and he's in charge of all our lighting and all the smoke. If you want to blame someone, this is the guy. But, but he gives hours upon hours upon hours of time to this church, setting lights. You don't just turn them on and they work. There's a lot of work involved. And Rob's over at our house a lot, and he, caught, he, he came to our house a few weeks back, and uh, he's like... Um, What's for dinner? And I'm like, you are here for an English roast lamb dinner. Apparently, though, there's some character in the back that heard about the lamb. (laughs) And he shows up and he also gets his dinner. But joking aside, joking aside, Jesus was more interested in where that one sheep had gone. And you hear him say, Listen, he finds the one. He puts the sheep on his shoulders. He's now walking. And now he's going to his friends and saying, it's now time to celebrate. I found the one. And there's a party that breaks out. So you can see right now, these religious leaders are trying to figure out what Jesus is on about. So he hits them real quick with another story. He says, well, okay, let me tell you this story. Or what woman, this is in verse 8, or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Now people, this is a lady that has a coin collection. No one knows where the coins have been. But one day she's counting them, and all of a sudden she realizes there's one missing. And the words in the Bible says she sweeps the house. The translation is she turns the house upside down for the coin. People, this happens in our house daily. I'm sure the devil invented remote controls. We lose the remote control every day. And all of a sudden, as the remote control is lost, it's like we've lost a million dollars. We are tearing up all the couches. We're looking under beds. We're kicking the dog out of the way. We're going outside, looking in the snow. Wherever that remote is, we are going to find it. It's crazy, but it happens. And I just imagine that's exactly what was happening in this house. She was turning the house upside down. And all of a sudden, she finds the coin. I mean, if it was me, again, a little bit like the sheep, I'd be like, lady, you've got nine. What's one? 
Let's just say you tithed it. And just live with the nine. But she was determined to find the one. And Jesus is explaining about how this search went on. She finds it. And all of a sudden, it's the same response again. She calls her friends. And all of a sudden, there's a party going on. They're celebrating that she found one penny. So all of a sudden, the religious leaders are still trying to figure out what is going on. And Jesus then decides to hit them with the last story. This story changes a little bit. Because he goes from a thing or an object to a person. And so he starts talking about this father, this father who has two sons. Now listen, I, I have a very creative mind, so I'm going to tell you as I am reading it, okay? It's a long scripture. You can read it at home, but let me just give you the story. There's this father with two sons. One is an idiot. Okay, I'm just telling you as it is. This kid comes up to his dad. He's the youngest. He comes up to his dad and he says, Dad, I want your inheritance for what you would normally give me if you were dead. So the father gives him this inheritance. And all of a sudden, the story takes a bit of a twist. In verse 13 of Luke 15, it says that he started to live recklessly blowing his money, partying. You can imagine what was going on to blow an inheritance. You've got to have some way of doing it, which normally is wrong, normally is reckless, normal, normally it's something that is bad. He's doing stuff that he shouldn't be doing. He's living recklessly in verse 13. But all of a sudden, a few verses down, we now see this character sitting in a pig pen. All the money's gone. The friends have gone. And now he's sitting in this pig pen, dreaming that he could eat the pig food. It's as though his poverty had got him so strapped that he couldn't even see out of the pig pen. And all he's doing now is dreaming about the pig food that he is seeing right in front of him. And as he's sitting there, he remembers something. In verse 17, verse 17, it says this. It talks about how he remembers that his dad had servants. And perhaps he could go back and become an employee. So he decides this is what he's going to do. He's going to, he's going to come back. We don't know how long it takes, but it was a far off place. So he starts to make his way home. And as he's on his way home, he's thinking about the speech that he is going to give to his dad. And the speech goes something like this. In verse 19, it says, you know, I am not worthy to be your son. These are the words he's thinking. I am not worthy to be your son, so let me be an employee. Let me be a servant because I'm not good enough to be your son. So he's on his way home. He's, he's, he's hearing this speech in his head. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. I'm not worthy to be your son, but just give me a job. Just give me a job, Dad. That's all I want. That's all I want. And as he looks up, 
he sees some figure running. And he's looking, he's like, who, who is running? And, and you've got to understand Jewish custom and, and the things that were going on in that time. Jewish men did not run. It was undignified. Now, they may walk fast, but they didn't run. So he was surprised to see his dad doing something that he normally never does. And all of a sudden, his dad's getting close to him, and he's like, oh, no, is he going to take me down? What's he going to do? Is he really mad at me? And all of a sudden, it says he embraces him and kisses him. This, this throws the son for a loop, like, what, what is going on? I'm meant to be being told to get in the naughty corner, but no, he is grabbing me, kissing me, and hugging me. And so in 21, verse 21, all of a sudden, he is trying to get this speech out. He's trying to tell his dad, listen, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'll be an employee. And it's as though the dad completely ignores the speech. They get home. He showers up. And all of a sudden, he walks into this room and the servants are bringing out jewelry. And, and then they're bringing out new sandals, and they're, they're putting a robe on him. And then all of a sudden, they're killing the fatted calf, and it's filet mignon on the menu. All of a sudden, the DJ starts up, and the music's going, and, and all of a sudden, he's standing there, like, wearing this stuff, and everyone's dancing around, and he's like, whoa, what's going on? Because I'm meant to be sitting in the naughty corner, because I've been naughty. But there they are, they're on the dance floor celebrating that he's home. So what about the other brother? See, there was another brother who stayed at home. He knew his brother was an idiot. And so he stayed at home because he thought, hey, I might get some more money probably. But all of a sudden, something happens with the brother that's very interesting. He's working out in the field, and all of a sudden, he hears music and dancing. Now, let me just let you in on something. When you can hear music, that's one thing. When you can hear dancing, there's a party going on. That's not no normal, hey, let's have a bit of a party. That's like they are seriously having a party. When you can hear dancing. And so it's like, what is going on? What is the noise? And so you could just imagine he's running home like, what's the, have I missed something? I'm, and, it, you know, it's like he opens the door and it's like all of a sudden it freezes like, am I missing something? And then they carry on dancing and there's the, the son, the idiot of the son just like, hey, this is great, this is great. And he's like, what is going on right now? He starts to flip out a little bit in verse 25 to 31. He's saying, you've got the jewelry, you've got the sandals, they've killed the fatted calf, the DJ's playing the music. There's a lot of dancing going on. And it's at this point that we start to judge 
the other brother. Again, he's the only logical person in the room. For the last year or however long it was, they've been worrying about where this brother has been. He's had the family worried. He's blew all the money. Yet he comes home. We give him shoes on his feet. We give him a robe. We kill the fatted calf. We get the dancing going. We give him a ticker tape parade. How's that? And so the dad pulls him aside. And this is what he said. He said, once he was dead to us, your brother, but now he's alive. Once he was lost, but now he's found. In all three of these stories, there's three things that happen. There's a search that goes on. Then they find what they're searching for. But then there's a celebration that happens in all three of these stories. Grace, what is grace? Well, grace is talked about a lot in the New Testament. It's mentioned about 156 times. It means the unmerited favor of God or the unearned favor of God. The religious leaders were still having trouble trying to figure out what Jesus was talking about. And even through the next chapters in Luke, they're still trying to figure it out. And it got to a point where Jesus had to stop telling the stories. And he had to physically show grace in action. It it was the biggest scandal of all time. It, It shouldn't have been Jesus on the cross. It should have been Barabbas. It should have been you. It should have been me. But in these three stories that Jesus was telling us about, he was trying to convey to us that things are going to change. That he was coming to die a cruel death to demonstrate a scandalous grace. So that one day you too could have a scandalous story. Because we don't deserve what we've got. Our sin, our shame, our guilt... We all deserve hell. But Jesus, even 2,000 years later, takes people, people who should not even be alive, and turns their story into a scandalous grace story. Take Robbie. I met Robbie a few years ago. Actually, I was there wanting to hire him at the Dream Center. 
I said to him, tell me your story. He said, Andy, I was earning close to $8,000 a month drug dealing. I was a gangbanger. I got kicked out of District 150 because I showed up with a gun at school. He was expelled. Yet now, through this scandalous grace, he is teaching kids each and every day about Jesus and is showing them a way out of what he has come out of, which the only way is through Jesus. You take Shane. Some of you remember the story of Shane and Ayanna that were up here a few weeks ago. He was addicted to drugs. It was wrecking his marriage. His kids didn't know what to do because dad was always strung up on drugs. But all of a sudden, this grace comes into his life. And all of a sudden, there's another scandal that happens because he shouldn't even be alive. But yet Jesus rose him up and filled the gap within his heart. Or it's, it's like the scandal of Riverside. But when we started Riverside, you wouldn't believe how many people were trying to stop us from starting. You don't want to go into the city. That's not where the money is. You don't plant churches in the middle of a city. You don't start a dream center where you're helping homeless people. I mean, that's messy. That's dirty. But yet over the years, thousands upon thousands of people have come to this church, come to the dream center, have heard the message of Jesus and accepted him. It's scandalous. We shouldn't be here. But yet Jesus gave us this passion and this desire to say, now go and share my scandalous grace to as many people as you can. The difference with Robbie and Shane and the people who have accepted Christ is they've embraced grace. They've embraced Jesus And you may be here today, and this may be the first time you've ever heard about this Jesus in this way. Whatever you have done, it's already been paid for. What sin you've got in your life, the wrong things that you've done in your life, it's already been forgiven on the cross. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds scandalous. But that's what Jesus does. You may be here as a Christian and you're saying, Andy, I am a Christian, but I'm going through this, thi- this stuff. I'm going through things in my life. I keep repeatedly sinning and, and doing wrong things. Then stop trying to stop. And let Jesus do the stopping. You have not got it in you to stop anything that you're doing. It can only be stopped by the power of Jesus. I've got Jordan up here. He's going to sing a song. And I wanted to 
open up the altars here. But I don't just want to open up the altars. I want you to be free in how you respond right now. It may be that you just stand and lift your hands. It may be that you kneel where you're at. Where all of a sudden this realization has just hit you during this service that I haven't got what it takes, but Jesus has. All the stuff that I'm going through, the things that I'm involved in, I can't correct it, but Jesus can. He can come in and his grace is sufficient for you. So as Jordan sings this song, I want you to just respond in a way that you feel you need to respond. The altars are open. You can stand, sit, lie, whatever you want to do. As Jordan does this song. Grace, what have you done? Murder for me on that cross. Accused in absence of a wrong. My sin washed away in your blood. Too much to make sense of it all. I know that your love breaks my fall. The scandal of grace, you died in my place, so my soul will live. And oh, to be like you, I give all I have just to know you. Cause Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever the hope in my heart. Cause grace, what have you done? You murdered for me on that cross. Accused in absence of wrong. My sin washed away in your blood. Too much to make sense of it all. I know that your love breaks my fall. The scandal of grace, you died in my place, so my soul. We'll live and all to be like you. I give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever the hope in my heart. And all to be like you. I give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever the hope in my heart. You may be here and you've encountered Jesus in a way that you've never known before, this may be new to you and you're saying, Andy, I want to know this Jesus.
I'm going to pray. You may have the weight of the world on your shoulder, Christian, and you're saying, I can't take it anymore. Well, you don't have to. Jesus is saying, give it to me. Let me take your weight. Jesus, I thank you for what you did. We can't comprehend it. We can't figure it out. And you knew that. And that's why you did what you did. It's the mystery of the gospel. But Jesus, I pray for anyone that is making that decision today to follow you. I pray that they see that this journey isn't easy. But this journey is worth it. That Jesus, you will help them through every day of their life. That they have someone that they can cling on to. And for the Christians, Jesus, I thank you. The Christians that are here, they're saying, I need more of Jesus. I need to give him more. It's all about Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for what you're going to do in the hearts and lives of individuals as they leave today. That like at the beginning of the scripture, sinners and tax collectors wanted to be around Jesus. As we represent Jesus, I pray that people want to be around us so we can share your light into their lives. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer for the first time or you were here praying that prayer, go back to the connecting point. We want to give you a Bible. We want to connect with you and we want to help you on this journey. Now remember in the three stories, there was something that happened at the end of every story. There was a celebration. There was party time. There was dancing. And there has been people in this room this morning that have laid it all out at the feet of Jesus. And it is time to celebrate. I didn't get many claps on that. It is time to celebrate. It is time to join with the angels who have already started their party. It's now time for us to lift up the name of Jesus. And as we finish out this service, let's lift up the name of Jesus because this is scandalous grace.